We'd love for you to pull out one of those brown connect cards. You can fill that out. There's a welcome room on the right as you're leaving. There'll be somebody there after the service. You can stop in and hand them that card. Give us a chance to personally thank you for being here. And then I'll follow up with an email. And hopefully, this is the last time you'll ever hear me say that because we hired an associate pastor this week. Woohoo! Jeremy Morris. Jeremy Morris is, um, come on. Jeremy is starting on Tuesday. He'll be in, responsible for assimilation in small groups. So uh, that's welcoming people, helping you feel connected and a part of the church, and uh, helping our, strengthen our small groups and uh, raise up new small group leaders. So we have a spot for everybody. It was a pretty long process. We had 16 people who applied. I know 15 of them were really good. There's one guy I didn't know, so I don't know if he was good or not. But the other 15 were solid, nine of them. We're a part of this church, so it was difficult to kind of navigate through asking the Lord who is the right person for the job. We look for character and calling and competence and chemistry, and many of those guys actually had all four of those things. But for us with Jeremy, there are a couple of things that stood out. Matt Gordon is one on our administrative team. Some of you all know Matt. Um, adjectives used to describe him usually don't lean in the... Um, Overly energetic category. He's kind of wired like me. And uh, we read Jeremy's deal that he handed us. It was some questions we had him answer, and it was all fine. And then we met him for this interview, and it's an eight-on-one interview, if you can imagine that. And so he came in, and he blew us away. When he left, Matt was like, I'll run through a brick wall for that guy. And I said, you'd run through a brick wall? He said, well, maybe something a little softer. But I would run through a wall for that guy. So that was our number one criteria. So they had to make Matt run through a wall. <laughs> Jeremy does that. He's a coach kind of by nature and gifts. He motivates. He's enthusiastic and passionate, two things that are often said about me. So y'all will have that duplicated. He's a people magnet. He pulls people in, another thing that's often said about me as well. So we're really we're clones in a lot of ways. That's why we hired him. Is because he can uh, he brings a lot to our staff that at least I absolutely don't have. He fully can do the job. We're absolutely convinced that he's called and gifted by God. But the way that he's going to do it, we're really excited um, about the way he's going to do that. He coaches T-ball with Bo. Bo is the guy uh, leading worship here. And uh, Thursday night after we uh, told Jeremy he had the job, he saw Bo. And Bo said he ran up and he picked him up like a rag doll and gave him a bear hug. So that's another thing. That you're never going to get from me. So all of those things Jeremy brings to the table. So why don't you come? He's just going to introduce himself briefly, and then y'all have plenty of time to get to know him uh, in the weeks and months to come. Uh, that story wasn't supposed to get out about the bear <laughs> by the way. That was just kind of a, a reaction when I saw Bo. Um, like I said, my name is Jeremy Morris. Um, I was thinking about this sitting in the back a few minutes ago. Uh, my wife and I have been coming here since 2007. Um, with a two-year break, and I don't think I've ever been to the 11 o'clock service. So folks are coming in, I'm like, I've never seen them before or them before. So um, I'm excited about getting to know uh, a lot of y'all. I'm excited about this. Um, uh, just a couple of things quick about me. I've got four crazy little boys, seven and under, uh, so we're, we're busy at home a lot. Um, uh, if you want to come by and grab one for a couple of days, feel free. Um, just need a break sometime. Kidding. Um, the other thing is I'm a, I'm a huge Kentucky fan, uh, at least during basketball season. Fo- uh, football season, I kind of – I don't get obnoxious until we beat somebody 
who I, we're not supposed to. Then I get obnoxious. And then in basketball season, I'm just obnoxious in general. So uh, if we lose a game and I come in kind of grumpy on a Sunday, just kind of ignore me and just understand Kentucky lost that day. Uh, but really excited and humbled to be here and, uh, and, and to do this. Um, I need all of your prayers and, and, you know, can't do this without God's help. And so any help you can give will be appreciated. And if you ever need anything from me, just uh, reach out. But thank you. That's good. Thanks. So uh, assimilation, small groups, if either of those things is your wheelhouse, uh, you can connect with Jeremy, and he'll also be reaching out to y'all again in the days and weeks to come. A couple other announcements on Wednesday, um, our next how-to. We're going to talk about how to pray. I'll lead that. We'll be around tables. There'll be a discussion after I share. We will have a meal together. You can sign up for that um, online or in the Welcome Center. Uh, also, big deal, big push. Uh, Penny, our children's pastor, she has people uh, commit to volunteer from September through May. So somebody, all of you parents, somebody is um, ministering to your child from September to May. But then in the summer, those volunteers get a much-needed break. And so the rest of us step in to fill the gap. It's not a gap. It's a canyon. 644 slots is what we need over the court. Huh? 700. Maybe 100 of them are already filled. 744 slots is what we need from the end of May through about the beginning of uh, middle of August. We need everybody to look at your calendars. You'll be out of town some. You won't be out of town every one of those weeks. Everything from holding babies to uh, third, fourth, and fifth grade boys. Great ministry. Excellent opportunity to serve people uh, who serve your children uh, all year long and a great opportunity to minister to the kids. So I'd encourage you to sign up. Um, there's, there'll be somebody out front after the service with an iPad so they can go ahead and get you uh, logged in and signed up on a date that works for you. You can see Penny if you have any more uh, questions about that, but I would encourage you to grab onto that. Look for an opportunity to jump in at least once this summer. All right, Acts 2. Two weeks ago, uh, we had picnic last week. Two weeks ago, closing out Acts 1, Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's not yet given the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He gives them an assignment. You're going to be my witnesses everywhere you go. Jerusalem, Marietta, Judea, Samaria, think Cobb County, ends of the earth, everywhere that you go. From here all the way out, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people who I am. You're going to tell people what I did. You're going to tell what that means for them, that through my death and resurrection, their sins are forgiven. They can be reconciled to their father, live in a right relationship with him, that the kingdom of heaven is advancing on the earth. The kingdom of darkness is being defeated. That's this message. And you're going to tell everybody about that message. But you're not ready yet. He tells them to wait. Y'all need to hang on and wait. I've given you an assignment. I've given you the, the scope of that assignment. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, but you don't have the capacity, the ability to, to fulfill that assignment yet. You've got to wait until you're empowered to do that. And you will be empowered when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's when you can then begin to walk out in obedience. Prior to that, you're just not ready. And so now we're 10 days from that moment. So Jesus has ascended into heaven. We're 10 days from that. So it's the day of Pentecost, which Pentecost means 50. It's the 50th day after the Passover feast. This is the beginning of a second major Jewish festival. It's called the Feast of Weeks. This actually was the biggest one of the three uh, annual festivals. 
thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims are in Jerusalem to celebrate this Feast of Weeks, Pentecost being the first day of that feast. And so the disciples, these 120 people, are in an upper room. They're praying and they're waiting. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of other people in Jerusalem celebrating this festival. And what Jesus has said is you wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And I don't think they have any idea what Jesus was talking about. The Holy Spirit's active all the way back to Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. And as you read throughout the Old Testament, you'll see the activity of the Spirit. Just to be clear, side note, the Holy Spirit is God. He's a person, not an it, not a force, not a ghost. He's a, he's a person. Father, Son, Spirit. What you can say about the character and nature of the Father and the Son, you also can say and should say about the character and nature of the Spirit. The difference is in roles, not in nature or essence. So back to Acts. So uh, we've got the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament, but he's given really uh, lim- it's a, it's limited exposure. Particular people, particular tasks, particular times. David, Holy Spirit comes upon him to lead the people. Samson, Holy Spirit comes upon him to kill a lion. Gideon, Holy Spirit comes upon him so he can lead the nation in battle. It's almost like the Holy. It's almost like these guys are putting on their superhero costume in the Old Testament. It's a handful of people for a limited time to accomplish a very specific function. Almost, and and the, the word is almost always comes on. You don't see that in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you see this idea of the Holy Spirit coming on. Again, to me, it's this idea of like putting on a coat or putting on my superhero costume so I can do this thing that God has asked me to do. And so when these 120 believers are in this upper room and they're praying, that's their context. Their context, thinking back through the Old Testament, is always men for particular tasks and particular times. That's what they're thinking is going to happen. I think that in their mind they're thinking it's going to be the 12 apostles. The Holy Spirit's going to come on the 12 apostles like he did David and Saul and Samson and Gideon. And he's going to equip and anoint them to carry out this task of being witnesses to the ends of the earth. I think the other 108 people in the room are thinking that's not our thing. We're not part of that group. I think for sure the women are thinking that, and I think the other men are going, that's not us. It's always, in the Old Testament, it's kind of these special people. It's these high-level leaders. It's not regular people like us. So it's going to be Peter. It's going to be James. It's going to be John. It's going to be Bartholomew. It's going to be Thaddeus. It's going to be those guys. But it's not going to be us. We'll pick up in Acts chapter 2 to see if they're right or not. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. So that's the 120 in this upper room. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And there's a list of ten countries or so. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. 
Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, something happens. It's objective. It's an objective phenomenon. Luke expresses it in metaphorical terms. But, but there's, there's sound. There's an audible nature to this phenomenon. They hear something. They see something. Luke says it's like a violent rushing wind. It seems like tongues of fire. Don't hold those things too tightly. And then there's a result. These people, these Galileans, these 12 men, are speaking in other languages. We don't know if all 100, the Holy Spirit comes on all 120. We don't know how many of them are kind of publicly proclaiming. They're all doing something. We don't know who all is publicly proclaiming. But we can tell from Peter's explanation that the Holy Spirit is poured out on the men and the women. And, you know, all of the 120. And so the people around them, these Jews who've come from hundreds of miles to celebrate Pentecost, they're all hearing the wonders of God in their own language. So there's, there's sound, there's sight, and then there's this result. So something actually happens. It's not just a change of mind. They don't just think something. They don't even just feel something. There's actually an objective happening that takes place on this day of Pentecost. And the pictures that Luke uses all have Old Testament uh, roots. The idea of God coming in the wind, you can read about that. We don't have time. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel sees a picture of a, a vision of a valley of dry bones, and then the, the wind, the Spirit of God, blows across these bones, and they um, come to life. The burning bush, you may remember that story. God spoke, speaks to Moses through a burning bush. So we have God in, in the presence of fire there, the the other languages reminds us of Genesis 11, 1 through 9, Tower of Babel, where God uh, scatters the nations. He's, people are becoming arrogant and prideful. They're beginning to cut God out of their life. And so he scatters humanity by creating all these different languages. And we see the reversal of that at Pentecost. It's not that we suddenly just everybody's speaking the same language, but everybody's hearing the same message in their own language. And so you have this idea of breaking down racial and ethnic boundaries. So all of those things, are those Old Testament ideas are floating around in Luke's pictures of wind, whatever exactly that means, and fire, whatever exactly that means. And then, again, everyone, and there's thousands of them, hear the gospel in their own language. So at some point, these 120 leave the upper room. They're in the temple courts. And again, you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews who are there to celebrate Pentecost. We'll see next week, 3,000 people become Christians in one day. So it's not a 100% conversion rate. So you can imagine the number of people who are witnessing this. Let me give you another side note over here, this idea of speaking in other tongues. For some people, that makes you a little bit squeamish, or maybe depending on your church background, you may say that's that doesn't even happen anymore. There's something out of bounds about that. Tongues takes two different forms in the New Testament. What we have here are other languages. So it would be like if I stood up here and started speaking Chinese. I don't know any. But if I suddenly started speaking Chinese, that's Acts 2. And that would be meaningful if there were Chinese speakers in the room. Otherwise, it doesn't help 
But if there are Chinese speakers in the room, that is meaningful. And there are testimonies of that type of phenomenon happening. People praying with someone. They don't know the language, and suddenly they're speaking a language. Like, I don't know what this is. And the person who's being prayed for says, That's, I know what that is. It's my language. You hear some of those stories on the mission field. Usually, when we talk about tongues now, we're talking about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Those are not human languages. That's Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 13, um, tongues of angels or angelic language. So that's stuff that nobody on the face of the earth speaks, and nobody's going to be able to understand without an interpreter. You can see there 1 Corinthians 14, 2 speaks to that. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands it. That's not Acts 2. The whole point was people understood. He utters mysteries with his spirit. These things were not mysteries. People understood. They're declaring the wonders of God in our own language. So that's two different ways tongues is expressed. One, human languages that you didn't learn. The other are angelic languages that nobody knows. So the human languages, there's no need for an interpreter because somebody understands that. So the reason God gives you that gift is to communicate a message to somebody who doesn't speak, for me, English. The other, these angelic languages, you do need an interpreter for that because nobody's going to understand it. So it doesn't help any of us if it's done publicly. You got that? So two different ways tongues is expressed. In Acts, we're talking about actual human languages that are being spoken. You can go through and read the list there in Acts 2, 10 through 10 and 11. Those are the languages that are being spoken. But oftentimes, again, when we talk about tongues now, people usually are referring to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which are not human languages. Those are angelic languages, and you do need an interpreter, or it doesn't do anybody. There's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't do anybody any good if there is no interpretation of that language. So, back to Acts. So, something happens, and it's objective, and it's real, and it's pretty phenomenal, seeing things, hearing things, this people hearing the gospel in their own language. And so the million-dollar question is, what does this mean? And that's what somebody says, what does all this mean? One option, well, everybody's just drunk. Maybe with all these different languages being spoken at one time, it's somewhat chaotic. If you don't know those other languages, it probably sounds like gibberish. And so the, the common assumption, well, they're, they're just drunk. And Peter says, no, it's only nine. We haven't had time to get drunk yet. We do that later in the day. He's being sarcastic. So here you have an instance of sarcasm in the Bible. It's good. So that's what he's doing. He's saying that we haven't had time yet. He says, let me tell you what's going on. He gives them context. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2 and says, this is what's happening. Y'all been waiting. We've been waiting as the Jewish people hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for this. God pouring out his spirit on everybody. We know it's only been particular people for particular tasks and particular times, but that's not true anymore. We see men and women, young and old, free and slaves. So that's regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of station in life. The Holy Spirit is now available to us. This is what the Father promised. Remember, Jesus said, wait for the gift of the Father, for the promise of the Father. This is it, that the Holy Spirit is now available to everyone. And then the next two verses, right after that in Joel, that Peter quotes, talk about these cosmic signs, the moon turning to blood and the sun turning dark and stars falling out of the sky. We don't know. I don't have a clue what any of that means. 
But every time you see that cosmic language, Old Testament and New Testament, it means the end is coming. That's what that whenever whatever that stuff is, when you see it happening, that means like the the book's about to be closed. Jesus is returning. And so what Peter is saying is we've seen you've all witnessed the fulfillment of the first half of that prophecy. The first two verses have already been fulfilled, which means the second two can be fulfilled at any moment, which means you're living in the end times. You're living in the last days. That's what Peter wants them to see. These guys aren't drunk. What this means is we're living at the end of history. When God at any point can close the book and say it's done. When he at any point can come back to judge the righteous and the wicked and to establish his kingdom on the earth. That's where we're living. And you say, well, I have, he said that 2,000 years ago. I know. And we are still living in the last days. We've said before, we are living in the time of Acts. Peter says so right here. The Holy Spirit is available to everyone, which means there are no major um, events that are still outstanding. Jesus can return at any moment. And so that's where we're living. We're living in these end times. Peter's giving them context. Here's, what's going, here's what this means. Far from these guys being drunk, this means we've entered a new age in history where the kingdom of God is breaking in. The kingdom of darkness has been, is being pushed back. And Jesus, and our, well, he doesn't say this yet. He will say it later. Jesus can return at any moment. So what does this mean for us? It's the million-dollar question, just like it was for them. What does it mean? Well, what does it mean for us? It means a lot. I'm going to step out of Acts and kind of hopefully give you some orientation as a New Testament Christian. Some of you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. This will give you a bit of a progression. For those of you who've already made a decision to follow Jesus, you can put yourself somewhere on this continuum. So first thing, we're living in a time when God pours out his spirit on all. We just saw that. That's Peter explaining what happened at the day of, on the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit lives in all Christians. The theological word for this is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So you're all indwelt if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Sometimes we talk about Jesus coming and living in our hearts. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not in your heart. The Holy Spirit's in your heart. He's the one that regenerates you, who brings you from death to life. That's his responsibility. That's his role. The Holy Spirit is God on the earth. Jesus and the Father are in heaven, wherever heaven is. The Holy Spirit is God active on the earth. And so he's the one that brings new life. He's the one that makes us a new creation. He's the one that brings us from death to life. And you can see those things there. Jesus says he lives with you and will be in you. It's the Holy Spirit who confirms to us that we're actually adopted into the family of God. So the fact that you know that you're a Christian, the, re- the, the, the reason you know you're a Christian is because the Holy Spirit lives within you. He's the one letting you know that. He's the one confirming in you, you know what? I have been forgiven. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am a son or I am a daughter of God. That's the Holy Spirit within you doing that. And so if you're a follower of Jesus... Regardless of your theology, then the Holy Spirit lives within you. You can't be a Christian and not, be, not have the Holy Spirit within you because he's the one that does the work. He's the one that makes you a Christian, if that makes sense. So all of us have the Holy Spirit living within us. Next, please. And the Holy Spirit does not come and go. So in the Old Testament, again, it's almost like people putting on and taking off a jacket. Not true in the New Testament. Paul says the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. 
Paul also says we're a temple of the Holy Spirit individually and collectively, but individually we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and he comes and takes up residence in our heart. So he does not come and go. He's given to us as a permanent possession. So again, if you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit lives within you, and he's not going anywhere. And so what that does is that brings you to Acts chapter 1. So where you are spiritually, if you're following Jesus, is where the disciples were in Acts chapter 1. That's where you are. I, some people would say the disciples didn't have any interaction with the Holy Spirit prior to Acts 2. I disagree. You can see this quote here in John. I think it's 20, 21. Let me see. 20, where Jesus breathes on the, Holy, on the disciples and it says, Receive the Holy Spirit. So that's before he ascends into heaven. So that's where we all are. Again, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. He's made you a new man. He's made you a new woman. He's uh, reminding you and convincing you that you're a son or daughter of God. The fruit of the Spirit's beginning to grow in your life. You're experiencing joy and peace and connection with God. You can hear his voice. All of these wonderful benefits of becoming a Christian. All of those things are made real to you by the Spirit. But many of us never get to Acts chapter 2. We live in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, you're still going to heaven. You're still redeemed. You're a Christian. You're loved by God. You're adopted into his family, precious in his sight, son and daughter. You're all of those things. But many of us never get to Acts 2. And what's the missing piece there? Jesus said, wait for what? Power. You will receive power. That's the missing component for many of us in our Christian life. We've received the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. He's living within us. We're saved and and sealed and all of that work, and it's wonderful. And there is a difference in our life. We are new people. Absolutely. But we're lacking power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. We're missing the capacity or the ability to truly live the life that God intends for us to live. If you go back and look at Luke, we don't have time. Jesus was filled with the Spirit before he launched into ministry. You can see it in Luke 4.1 and 4.23. Before he does anything else, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. If it's true of him, how much more so does it, be, does it need to be true of us? And I don't want any of you falling into the trap that says, well, that's just for missionaries or for people who work in a church. Or, no, that's Old Testament thinking. A few people for a few specific tasks for a limited time. What we know is the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, and all of us have been commissioned by Jesus to be his witnesses. And so we all need power to do that. So we all need to be filled. There's only one person that I can think of in the Old Testament where we see the, where, where they're said to be filled with the Spirit. It's a guy named Bezalel. It's in Exodus 30 and 34, I think, and it's a uh, it's guy and his responsibility is to build the temple. And so he's a craftsman. He's filled with the Spirit so he can make the temple. Only time we see that language in the Old Testament. That is the language of the New Testament. We're all filled. It's an internal reality for us. And the the result of which is power. We see that as we go through Acts. We'll see that. And you'll see it in your own life as well. So if you have not been filled with the Spirit, are you a Christian? Absolutely. If you've not been filled with the Spirit, will you can you hear the voice of God? Absolutely. If you've not been filled with the Spirit, are the fruit of the Spirit being grown in your life? For sure they are. If you haven't been filled with the Spirit, can you be effective at all in ministry? Absolutely you can. It's just all less and it's harder. And so there's no reason for it. 
because this is the provision that God has made. Just like he told these 120, just wait. You're not ready yet. So he would say to us, just wait until I've given you power to actually do the things that I've called and asked you to do. I see this playing out in a couple of different ways. What's next? The Holy Spirit empowers us. So I think wind, I think fire, and then I think declaring. You don't, this just helps me. You don't have to grab onto this if you don't want to. When I think of wind, I think of, for me, I'm thinking of spiritual gifts. There's about, I think there's 28 gifts listed in the New Testament, something like that. Most people would say it's not exhaustive. But if you go through that list, all of those gifts are about how you help other people. This is how you contribute to the body of Christ, and here's how you contribute to what God is doing in the world. And so this is how you serve. It's how you love. It's how you bless. It's teaching, and it's mercy, and it's leading, and it's giving, and it's faith, and it's miracles, and it's prophecies. All these different tools that God gives us so that we can help other people. So to me, when I'm thinking about wind, I'm thinking about that power for service, that power to bless and minister to other people. That has nothing to do with your job. At all. Everything to do with your calling. And every one of you has calling on your life, regardless of your career. When I think of fire, I think of purity. I think of character and lifestyle. I think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And there takes power to live those, to live out those fruit. He produces them. I don't produce them in me. But when I think about fire, that's what I think about, that fruit growing in me. More joy, more love, more peace, more patience. Him kind of supercharging that work in me. And both of those things, the lifestyle and the service, the gifts and the fruit, point in the same direction. Those things are what enable me to be a witness. I'm a witness by the way I live my life, and I'm a witness by the things I say and the things that I do. Gifts and fruit. Both of those things, the end result, hopefully, is that everybody around me can say, I'm hearing the wonders of God declared in my own language. I get it. Whether their language is English or not, they get it. It's their heart language. It's something that they can understand. That's the end result. God has planted you somewhere. He's given you people that you're responsible for. And what he's saying is, you want them... Whatever that zone is for you, you want those guys to be able to say, I'm hearing. I'm hearing the wonders of God being declared in a language that I get. You are speaking my language through your actions, through your words, through the way you conduct yourself as a husband and a father and as a business leader. I see it by the way you wash my feet and And by the way, you pray for me. All these different things are moving in the same direction of what it means to be a witness. And we need power for that. We can't do that on our own. We definitely can't do it as effectively on our own as we can do it in the power of the Spirit. So we need power as well. And and what that looks like is being filled. And that's not a one-time deal. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the idea is continually be filled. That's the tense of the verb. Be being filled. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you've ever been filled with the Spirit. I care, are you currently full? Think about, I know none of you have ever been under the influence of alcohol in any way at all. But pretend you've seen it on TV. So when... Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. What's he talking about? Don't come under the influence of alcohol. 
If you're drunk, then alcohol determines in a lot of ways what you say and what you do. To be filled with the Spirit, it's, a, it's analogous. It's the same thing. You're coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's determining what you say and what you do, what you think. And so we can grow in that. Again, you don't have experience with this. But one drink versus two drinks versus ten drinks. How much more effect does alcohol have on you? The same thing is true in terms of being filled with the Spirit. We can grow in in His influence in our life. That's weird because He's a person. You can't get more of a person. You have Him or you don't. But it's a metaphor for us. We can grow where we're coming more and more under His influence on a daily basis. And the reason Paul says we have to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit is because we're continually pouring out what He's given to us. Let me see if I can do this. Tricky. There we go. So this is your heart, and it's dead and empty. And then you hear the gospel, and you say, that is good news for me. And then you pray, Jesus, I want to begin to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. And then you say, fill me with your spirit. And Jesus says, okay, it's not hard. This is not rocket science. You are filled with the spirit the same way you receive everything in the Christian life. It's simply by asking. There are uh, traditions in the Christian faith that they have these things called tarrying meetings where you had to pray for like days and days at a time because they had to wait 10 days. They were waiting 10 days because they were waiting on Pentecost. You're not waiting anymore. So you don't have to do that. You just ask the same way you ask for everything else. Luke 11, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So that's all you have to do. And so you ask and so you're full. And this is wonderful for you. This is your heart, and you're full of the Holy Spirit. And then you have opportunities every day to serve and bless other people, and you do that. You pour out. Paul talks about pouring himself out as a drink offering, and so you do that. You pour yourself out on behalf of others. And also, every day you have opportunities to exhibit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And normally, the circumstances that require the that fruit, uh, the circumstances are less than pleasant, correct? It's people who are jerky who require those things of you. And so you get jostled around and banged and squeezed, and so this stuff comes out of you. Hopefully it's good. That's what's coming out of you as you're being squeezed and jostled and pushed around. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's what's coming out. And so we're just, again, this is all metaphor. Don't press me. At the end of the day, you're a third full. What's the problem for most of us is we never, we never ask to be filled again. It's not conscious for us. We just blow through our day, 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 week, 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 month, 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 month. Maybe we go to camp. Maybe we go on a mission trip. And then we realize how empty we are. Then we get filled up again. You don't have to wait. Regular occurrence. God, fill me with your spirit. Think of Ephesians 5.18. Constantly be under the influence of the spirit. Be being filled. Be continuously filled. But we don't live that way for whatever reason. Apathy, ignorance, busyness. We just don't. And so what happens over time? Your heart will not stay half full. It will not do that. Think of your heart like a vacuum. It just sucks things in. And if there's emptiness, if there's empty space, then other stuff gets dumped in there. The stuff you watch on TV and the stuff you pick up from other people, that's not great. And your own 
flesh, and that begins to dilute the work of the Spirit. So the next time you have an opportunity to serve somebody, it's kind of a mixed bag what comes out of you. There's still some spirit there, but there's some flesh there too. And the next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, maybe there's a finger that you use, and it's not your thumb. You know, it's, it's flesh and spirit. It's all of that stuff is coming out of you. It's a mixture. Are you still a Christian? Absolutely. 100%. Is the Holy Spirit still within you? Absolutely, 100%. Did you lose the Holy Spirit? No, he's a person. You have him or you don't. You're not as under the influence as you were. Your tank is lower, if I can switch metaphors. And so you've got to ask again, God, fill me. And if I had more water, I could pour water in here and it would run the grape juice out, but it would make a mess. Just trust me on that. And over time, that's what happens for us. We're this mixed bag. And we don't have to be. We can grow more and more under the influence of the Spirit. We're influencing our thoughts and our actions. And all we have to do is ask. It's just a matter of recognizing, like, what's your gas gauge? You look at one on your car all the time. When your gas tank gets empty, do you get mad at your car? No. It just means you've used it. That's it. And the same thing is true for you. You're going to lose. You're going to run down. Why? Just because you're a person and you're giving out what you've been given. They're not your resources and they're not mine. They're his. And so I've got to stay connected. Abide in him. That's a John 15. This isn't... I don't know how to communicate this in a way to make this easily accessible and normal. Like, this is just normal Christianity. God, fill me with your spirit. I'm about to walk in the door after eight hours or ten hours of getting banged around, and I've got wife and two or three or four kids, and they need something from me other than frustration and orneriness. So you got to fill me with your spirit, or all they're getting is my flesh. That is normal That's every day in your driveway. It is. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're a person. That's all. God, fill me with your spirit. I'm scared to death about this meeting. I don't know what to say. This guy intimidates the fool out of me. And I need your help. Otherwise, I'm going to bomb. Fill me with your spirit. Give me peace. Give me joy. God, I'm about to interact with this person, and I know they don't know you, and I don't want to blow it. I don't want to squeeze the soap so hard it flies out of my hands. I also don't want to miss an opportunity. So you've got to fill me with your spirit. Are there any gifts that I need to be able to effectively love this person right now? That's daily, multiple times a day, normal Christianity. For all of us, God, fill me with your spirit. I want to be more under the influence of your of, of your spirit. I want you to lead me and guide me. I don't want to be left to my own devices. It's bad for everybody. Let's pray. I run out of time. All right, we're okay. Here's what we're going to do. Bo and the band are going to come back, and they're going to sing a song, and I want you to listen. I don't want you to sing. You can just stay in your seat. Bo will have us stand up in a little bit. And I just want you thinking through your gas gauge, if we can use that picture. Where are you? None of you are full. And I'm not either. That's just reality for us. We're rarely full. There's always growth for us. So I'm saying, God, where do I need to, where do I need more of your spirit in my life? Where do I need to be more submitted to him? Where do I need him to exercise more influence? Recognizing the Holy Spirit is God on earth. 
So I'm saying, help me here. Where do I need to be empowered? Do I need to be empowered when it comes to the words that come out of my mouth? Do I need to be empowered when it comes to the thoughts that I'm thinking, to the actions that I'm taking? Do I need to be empowered when it comes to interacting with people who don't know you or interacting with my mother-in-law? Or do I need to be empowered when it comes to self-control or patience? What is it? Ask him during this song. And then begin to ask him to fill you in that spot. And we'll have an opportunity for personal ministry here in a second. Go ahead.